morning. My name is Joey. It's a blessing to be here with all of you. I'll be reading um, Psalm 103. Read the entire chapter. Y'all hang with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we come to your word now, may our hearts well up with gratitude and joy. May we bless your name, for you are good. Your loving kindness lasts a long, long time. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. May we see afresh and cause our hearts to remember and respond to all these great and glorious truths this morning. And may gratitude be full in our hearts, and may our hearts overflow with praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our summer in the Psalms this morning, looking at one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103. Even before I started studying this Psalm, I already knew one thing. Psalm 103 needs more than one sermon. Amen. I heard that. Psalm 103 needs more than one sermon. We simply cannot cover all the riches that are here in just one go. We'd have to skim over 
so much soul-stirring beauty if we took it at a hurried pace. It'd be like trying to take in a famous statue or read a historical marker through the window of a car speeding down the highway. We don't want to do that. We, we, want to, we don't want to see these amazing truths just go whizzing by. We don't want to be like we're in a whizzing car looking through the window. But we also don't have time to be slow walkers either, taking a leisurely stroll through the text, contemplating at length each word and phrase in this great landscape that is Psalm 103, because that would take us months. So, if we can't proceed at the speed of a speeding car or a strolling walker, what are we going to do? Let me propose a compromise. Let's all be cyclists today. Let's be cyclists of Psalm 103. I did not discover until my early 30s, when we moved to the north of England, that the ideal pace at which to enjoy the countryside is precisely 12 miles an hour. That's the average speed I am on a bike, 12 miles an hour. 15 miles per hour is too fast and tiring. Am I right, Daniel? It's too fast and too tiring. 10 miles is too slow, but 12 is just right. Trust me on that. Just right. In my 30s, I cycled coast to coast across England at 12 miles an hour. 250 miles down the Loire Valley in France, 12 miles an hour. Across Switzerland and up mountain passes, three miles an hour. (laughs) If that, sometimes, with frequent breaks for water. But still, on a bike, you can take in so much more at a pace that's actually enjoyable instead of seeing it all just fly by through the window of a car. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take Psalm 103 at a cyclist pace. This sermon is just going to be part one. And in part one, we're just trying to climb up the mountain heights of the first five verses. Before we hit the downhill speeds, I think, at verse six and following. So this is Psalm 103, part one. And I think there will only be two parts, but... Don't be surprised if you come back to discover part three uh, when all is said and done. Uh, In the first five verses of Psalm 103, we're going to see one big theme, like one big mountain. Everything else is going to be like features on this mountain. Everything else is going to be like the trees and the rocks and the snow caps that make up this one big hill. The one big mountain, the one big theme in two words is this. Godward gratitude. Godward gratitude. We're going to see first in verse 1 that Godward gratitude employs our whole self. Godward gratitude employs our whole self. And I'm sorry, I forgot to send the, um, the heading. So you're going to have to take good notes this morning. Godward gratitude employs our whole self. Verse 1. Uh, Look at verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What does it mean to bless someone? What does it mean for us to bless the Lord? We really mean two different things. The way you might bless a poor person is by giving them something that they need. 
But that's not the way you bless the Lord. You can't give him anything he needs. God has no needs. He has no lacks. He has no deficiencies we need to make up. In this relationship, the Lord is always the one giving. And we are that poor person who is receiving. The Lord gives to us, and in response, we say, bless, be your name. Bless you, Lord. With Godward gratitude, we say, I bless your name for all these good things. Like the beggar on the street who receives a compassionate gift and says, bless you, kind sir. We are continually receiving good gifts from God's hand, and our response ought to be, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless your holy name. We are to be filled with Godward gratitude. G.K. Chesterton was an Englishman. He was a newspaper columnist at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 21st century. Uh, I will quote him quite a lot in this sermon. G.K. Chesterton once said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. I'm going to say that again. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Let's consider for a second if that holds true to our experience. Is thanks really the highest form of thought? Well, ask yourself, is there a frame of mind that you'd rather be in than one that is profoundly thankful? We would shrewd thoughts or creative thoughts or clever thoughts or logistical thoughts or even pious thoughts make you feel better than those times you felt profoundly grateful? I think we all know that the answer is no. There is no mental headspace I'd rather be in than one that is full of thanksgiving, right? We all know, I think, that we are the most profoundly happy when we are the most profoundly grateful. You know that. I know that. So gratitude is something we all want to be filled with. But we've also got to know what's the proper object to pour our gratitude out upon. We've got to be grateful to some object. We've got to be grateful toward someone. Chesterton says this is where the atheist gets into real trouble. He said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and then realizes he has no one to thank. That's a bad moment, isn't it? It's a horrible letdown to feel profoundly grateful and then to have it dawn on you that there is no one to be grateful to. If you don't believe in any design, if you don't believe in any guiding hand, if you don't believe in any person mastermining creation, 
then your gratitude kind of fizzles out when it comes. It has nowhere to go. It has nowhere to overflow, no object to be poured out upon. Your enjoyment of a magnificent sunset or seeing a double rainbow is cut short. It's short-circuited from what it could be if you knew who to thank in that moment. For it to be completely expressed, our gratefulness has to find its proper object. Our gratefulness has to be directed Godward. Our gratefulness needs to be directed Godward and our gratefulness, our gratitude employs our whole self. Look again at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Godward gratitude employs our whole self. It engages all that we are. My soul, my spiritual self is engaged in the act of being grateful. I think even unbelievers feel this reality. Deep down, they know I want to give thanks to someone. But they have to suppress that intuition. Our spiritual self knows that we are designed to be grateful and to give thanks. We were made to bless someone. We were made to employ all that we are in blessing the Lord. All that is within me, bless your holy name. All that is within me, all our affection, all of our affections are to be engaged in gratitude. All of our, all of our emotions are to be engaged. How much happier would you be if our emotions fell in line with this calling. Affections, emotions, all that is within me is called to bless the Lord. This is employment for our whole self. Our affections, but also our volition, our will is also called to bend the knee and bless the Lord. The choices we make should reflect that gratitude that's in our hearts. When thankfulness reigns in us, guess what? It comes out in our actions and how we treat people. Think about it. Have you ever seen a profoundly grateful person act ungenerously toward others? No, because that would be out of step with the nature of gratitude that they're feeling. People full of gratitude are naturally generous toward others. All that, it was, all that is within me includes my will, my desires, the way I act toward those around me. These are also employed in Godward gratitude. All of us. Not one part of us gets a pass. Least of all, the mind. The intellect. We can employ our minds in gratitude just like we can employ our minds in showing love. Remember this, we're commanded. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. 
That's included in the list, isn't it? Your mind. You can love with your mind. How does the mind engage in this? How does the mind engage in Godward gratitude? There's a lot that could be said here, but let's stick with what's said in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Here we see a second aspect of Godward gratitude. Godward gratitude practices a better mindfulness. That's point number two, heading number two. Godward gratitude practices a better mindfulness. Now, I use the word mindfulness knowing that that word has a certain meaning in our day. I knew that mindfulness was a thing, but I had to look up online exactly what that thing was. <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure. Uh, and I'm not the only one looking it up. Because Google has a list of popular questions about mindfulness. The first being, what does mindfulness mean? (laughs) And the Internet's answer, which you all know must be correct, is that mindfulness is maintaining a moment-by-moment awareness of our thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations, and surrounding environment through a gentle nurturing lens. Mindfulness consists in a moment-by-moment awareness of certain things. Well, Psalm 103 can tell you some things to maintain a moment-by-moment awareness of, and they are better things than your feelings and bodily sensations. (laughs) Be mindful of this, verse 2. Be mindful. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? Godward gratitude practices a better form of mindfulness. It gives us a better list of things to maintain a moment-by-moment awareness of. Psalm 103 doesn't give us an exhaustive list of things to be mindful of, but it gives us a pretty amazing list, all the same. For the rest of the message now, I'm going to give you five truths that we're called to maintain a moment-by-moment awareness of. And these are like five sub-points under the heading Godward gratitude practices a better mindfulness. If we're to be continually grateful, what benefits are we to never forget? What things are we to always keep in mind? Here's the first, verse 3. Be mindful of sins pardoned. Be mindful of sins pardoned. Verse 3. Forget none of his benefits. What are we not to forget? Verse 3. Who pardons all your iniquities? Who pardons all your iniquities? How often in your day are you mindful of the fact that your sins have been forgiven? How often in your day are you grateful for the fact that all your many sins have been pardoned? If I could hazard a guess, for most of us, 
we, I'd say we're more mindful of guilt than we are of forgiveness. Our moment-by-moment awareness is focused more on our life's burdens than on our sin's pardon. We are quick to let our thoughts be dominated by our failures and forget our forgiveness. I wonder, is that true for you? Are you far more aware of that interaction that you regret than you are of the full pardon that you've received? If so, why is that? It's because we are monumental forgetters after all, right? We are so quick to forget all of God's benefits, all of Christ's benefits toward us. We are quick to forget how Christ's pardon covers all our shortcomings, all our failures, all our sin. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, the Bible says our certificate of debt was nailed there with him. Everything we have to feel guilty about, everything we have to fear, everything that would condemn us is nailed to that cross. Jesus willingly and comprehensively has taken it all upon himself. So that now, when you get up in the morning, you can bask in Christ's pardon. Bask in imputed righteousness. I am right with God through no work of my own. God sees me, and when he sees me, he sees me as someone fully forgiven and clothed in the righteousness of his perfect son. So be grateful, heart, as you get up in the morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, as I rise to meet the day. Why? Because I am forgiven, fully pardoned. How much happier would you be? How much happier would your daily life be if you just practice mindfulness of this truth? Your sins are all forgiven. God sees your life through the atoning sacrifice of his son. What would a moment-by-moment awareness of sin's pardon produce in you? I'll tell you. Psalm 103 tells you. It should produce in you a profound gratitude. It should make you profoundly grateful. So grateful that your heart will go around saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless your holy name. I'll tell you what Jesus says being mindful of forgiveness should do. He says it should make you not like the wicked servant who was forgiven a great debt and then went out and held a grudge against someone else, choked his fellow slave saying, pay me back what you owe me. You cannot be mindful of God's great forgiveness of you and hold on to petty grudges at the same time. The two are inconsistent with one another. Godward gratitude pushes out all grudges from our heart. There's no room for them in a happy heart that's rejoicing over God's great pardon of you. Because here's what it's kind of like. 
kids. We've got a few kids with us this morning. It's like you go to Chuck E. Cheese's and you're doing skee ball and the machine breaks. But instead of not giving you tickets, it just starts gushing tickets. You get a million tickets right there. It pours it out. Then some random person who's never done you any good at all comes up and says, Hey, man, can I have a few? And you're like, Of course. I just got a million tickets for free. Here, you're lavish with it because it has been lavished upon you. God has been so lavish in his forgiveness, it just seems right to let that spill over on the other people around you. Be mindful of God's forgiveness. Here's a second thing to be mindful of, verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Number two, be mindful of ills healed, of ills healed. I first started using the word ill instead of sick when we lived in North Yorkshire. Because there, to say someone is sick always meant that someone threw up. You'd say someone got sick and then someone had to clean up the sick later. That's the way the word's used. Over there, I stopped using, saying someone was sick. Uh, they're not sick. They didn't throw up. They're ill. Something undefined is wrong with them. They're ill. Even here now, when someone says someone's sick, I have to remind myself they're not somewhere vomiting at the moment. <laughs> That's still my first thought. But here... Uh, I'm going to use the word ill again because it's, it's good. There's something undefined that is wrong. Something's off, both with ourselves, with our bodies, but also with the world. Something is ill. But what are we called to remember? Psalm 103. We're called to remember that God is the healer of all the world's ills. We very often see him mend the broken bits, both of our, in our bodies and in the world now. But the greatest act of healing is yet to come. In the present age, when we should expect things to break, when we should expect things to go ill, how many go surprisingly right for us in our life? A lot of them do. And who are we to thank for that? God. Chesterton observed, when we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings at Christmas. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs? I thought that was clever. Right? In, in a world that so many things are, go ill... God still causes so many things to go right. Everyone's stockings here this morning has legs in them. And that's something to be grateful for. How many potential ills has God spared you from? How many real ills has God already granted you recovery from? Shouldn't you be grateful? Even when we approach the end... And some disease, some illness will be the last one we will ever face. The last one that will take us home. Shouldn't we be grateful 
that there is healing from this ill on the other side. That there is healing from, for all the world's ills on the other side of the king's return. A heart filled with faith should be mindful of these things. And that mindfulness should fill us with gratitude. Here's a third thing to be mindful of, verse 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pits. Be mindful of what you did deserve. That's the third thing to see. Be mindful of what you did deserve. Where did God find us when he chose to have mercy on us? We weren't sitting pretty in a palace. We were down in the pit. It was a pit of our own making. Our own sinful, selfish, and self-destructive choices put us there. We were like the prodigal son, thinking he knows best how to run his own life, and yet winds up in the pigsty. Or we were like the Pharisee, whose legalism is blinding, And like blind guides leading the blind, we all fall into the pit together. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. There were chains of slavery upon us, though we did not recognize it at the time. We were bound in a pit with chains that we could not see because they were of our own making. But God, rich in mercy marks us out as objects of his compassion. Jesus, who is infinitely high, condescends to the lowest pit in order to redeem us. Never forget where you came from, spiritually. Never forget what you deserved because it will fill your heart with gratitude when you compare it with this. Look at the rest of verse 4. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Be mindful of what you did deserve, first part of verse 4, but also be mindful of what you have received, verse 4. Be mindful of what you have received. You deserved a pit. You deserved punishment. You deserved the chains you forged in life like Jacob Marley's ghost, to bind you forever. That's what you deserved. But what did you you receive? Instead of a cross, you received a crown. Instead of the law's justice, you received God's loving kindness. Instead of condemnation falling on your head, you've been crowned with compassion. Why? Because of Jesus. He's the only answer. Because Jesus took the cross so that you might wear the crown. He satisfied God's justice forever so that you might be satisfied by God's loving kindness forever. He tasted your full condemnation so that you can drink from the cup of God's full, unadulterated, compassion. 
There, there is in the gospel, as there is here in this psalm, an incredible contrast. The contrast between what we deserve and what we get. We deserved punishment. We deserved our place in the pit. We deserved the rebel's hell. But instead, we've received the redeemed heaven. We've received from God a crown of loving kindness and compassion that transforms our identities. If you're looking this morning for something to spark gratitude in your heart, nothing can do it quite like this. Comparing what you deserve in yourself with what you have received in Christ. It is literally the difference between heaven and hell. The contrast could not be more sharp than it is. Here's what I find. Whenever I parade before my heart what I deserve in myself versus what I have received in Christ, it cannot but spark joy and fresh gratitude in me. If I'm really believing it, it cannot but spark joy gratitude. I bet you'll find the same is true for you. If you're not feeling grateful, just give your heart a reminder of the gospel. The stark difference between what you deserve and what you have received. So, you're to be mindful of what you did deserve, verse 4a. Be mindful of what you have received, verse 4b. And finally, Be mindful of every good gift. Verse 5. Look again. Blessed be the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Verse 5. Who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. It's amazing that in a broken and fallen world, God satisfies our years with so many good things. Today, each of us has more good gifts from God than we could name. Existence is a good gift, isn't it? You have that. Consciousness is a good gift. You have that as well. Having a conscience is a good gift. Hopefully you have that. I believe you do. Taste is a good gift, which it took many of us getting COVID before we bothered to thank God for that. The pleasure of pets or gardening or grandchildren or seeing a sunset or sex are all good gifts. We, should, we shouldn't be, shouldn't we be continually grateful? Shouldn't we be continually grateful for all these things? Shouldn't we be in a perpetual state of thanking God for good things like we do before we eat a good meal. Chesterton said, you say grace before meals, all right? But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, Walking, playing, dancing, 
and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. That's the way to live, folks. That's the way to live out Psalm 103. Practicing Godward gratitude in all of life, in everything we do. As we pick up a book, we give thanks to God. As we go for a walk, we pour out our hearts in gratitude to our maker. As we get in the swimming pool, we thank God for the coolness of the water on a hot summer day. We practice a better mindfulness as Christians. Gratitude to God in all things. Church, this is your vocation now. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your offering. This is your sacrifice. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. This is a command. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that give thanks to God. This is your employment, Christian. 24-7, enjoying God's goodness and giving him thanks for it. That's your job. This is your employment. And guess what? It is the best job in all of creation. Father, I thank you that you have lavished so much goodness on us all. Father, forgive our slow, evil, and ungrateful hearts for recognizing it. Lord, may you do a work of grace in us this morning. Transform us into people who give thanks continually, who say grace before, not just before we eat, but before we play and before we walk, before we read a good book, before we go for a run, before we enjoy time with friends. May our hearts overflow with gratitude for every good thing you have given us. May our hearts forget none of your benefits. May we say with all that we are, with our souls, all that is within us, bless the Lord. May that be our employment. May that be our job. May that be the central call of our life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Amen.